Welcome to the Sports Talk Garage podcast, where we discuss and debate the latest news and hot takes from the court in the ball fields to the locker room and front office. We are four lifelong friends who grew up with a love of professional and collegiate sports. Today, we are bankers, investors, professors, and entrepreneurs, but our love of sports has never changed. Come listen for the fun, gain some insight, and probably a few laughs as we give you our perspective on those oversized contracts, game-winning scores, and franchise players. This is the Sports Talk Garage. Right, welcome into season two, episode thirty-nine of the Sports Talk Garage podcast. This is David, joined by John and Matt. We're happy to be back with you. Another week without live sports, but they are slowly starting to come back through some governor's orders saying that sports can resume without fans in the next week or two. Different parts of the country, but we're still going to keep going. We've got another great week. Um, still going with the guest tonight, and we have a wonderful person you know for all the Charlotte area fans and football fans in general. Mick Mixon, the voice of the Panthers. Mick, thanks for coming on to the podcast tonight. I'm honored. I, I, I just uh, this you having me as a guest does not speak well for uh, for your your content. <laughs> if, if you must, you guys must be desperate. But no, I'm I'm thrilled, and uh, you know I got a connection, the Wake Forest connection with with David. Are you three guys friends? How how do you all know each other? Yeah, so there's three of us here, four all together. Uh, we are all really great friends. We grew up in Charlotte together. We've known each other for about 30 years. So it's a great friendship, brotherhood, and we're happy to kind of take our daily sports chatter to a podcast and see what happens with it tonight. Yeah, we started this podcast. As we were kind of all spread out. Uh, I was in Chicago, and uh, Matt's up in the the north well, where are you at northeast technically i don't know where is ohio considered southern michigan aka northern ohio <laughs> there you go and uh so we kind of started this podcast as an opportunity to get on weekly and you know keep the our friendship in in thriving and and talk about sports which we all love anyways so we're like yeah we should just record these conversations because they're pretty comical most of the time and and the rest is history so let me, well, let me explain where this will to, um beat you up is you're gonna love this because i'm the only duke fan here so you know that's usually where this goes and then it goes into the panthers versus the bears and you'll you'll just enjoy the comedy reel because this is kind of where this gets started <laughs> i'm looking forward to it i was going to tell you that i'm married i'm 61 years old i'm married to five feet of hell known as dawn elizabeth thomas mixon <laughs> and i've tried to i've tried to explain to my shorty on numerous occasions the art of male closeness and male friendship she does not understand how buddies of mine that i've known for for 55 years that that certain friends of mine we get on the phone and we'll just be cackling like like little girls and just fun just dumb stuff and she says well what was so was that mike fallon you were talking to what was so funny and they just don't understand sometimes they they don't get how we can talk for hours and not even mention how we feel about anything whatever you do yep don't talk about our emotions that's spot on spot on yeah we've um it's uh it's not until you get really really close to someone (laughs) do you start sharing that stuff and then even then it's like it's still in 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 kind of bro code you know exactly you read between the lines about what it's what it was actually said and you say okay yeah i need to reach out to that guy real fast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man well Mick again we do appreciate you coming on um yeah Tar Heel grad which we really love went into a few other accolades in a moment but we're gonna go ahead and drop the green flag kind of get things going for tonight so kind of looking in the past among 
a lot of other roles that you've had. You worked for the Tar Heel Network back in the late 80s until you came over to the Panthers. Uh, a few things about that. What was your undergrad in to kind of get to that point? And also, while with the Tar Heel Network, what sports did you cover? And also, what was your favorite sport to cover? Well, let's see. I was born on a cold, rainy October 1st, 1958, Wilmington, Delaware. My dad was a chemist, a chemical engineer, loved things such as quantum physics, differential equations, analytic trigonometry, stared at me quite often throughout my childhood as if he were fairly certain that I was not of him. <laughs> my mom, my mom, Sandy Mixon, was from New York. My dad was from the South, preacher's son, but my mom was a rock star. She could sing, dance, do impersonations. When my mom was happy, she'd be singing, her voice filling the house like water, babbling over creek rocks when she was not happy no one was happy this low pressure cell descended upon our house <laughs> all i ever wanted to be growing up as a little mickey mixon in chapel hill was a sports broadcaster there was just something elegant and romantic and noble even though we all know it's the toy store of life and and sports could do quite well without announcers and life could do quite well without sports but there was just something about it. I, I, the batting cage, the press box, the, the, the bus going to the game, the uh, getting to practice, to listen to coaches coach and watch them work. And it was just, it was just what, I, what I wanted to do. It was like a siren song. Being in a radio station, the blinking lights, the smells of asbestos and radon and <laughs> lead-based paint and coffee and pizza and cigarettes and all that is just so um, – Time goes by. You know, you guys are young, but you'll be old like me someday. And and um, I've just been so fortunate to be able to have a vocation that's also my avocation for so many years. Well said. Jeez. Um, so I guess with your transition from ACC, Tar Heel Network, what kind of drove you to transition to the NFL for broadcasting? It's a good question. I, I love Chapel Hill. That's my, that's my hometown. That's where I grew up. And I, I didn't want to, I, I never wanted to work in Chapel Hill. I felt like everybody kind of, everybody I ran into, it was either some, a teacher that I, that I didn't turn the assignment in for, or <laughs> someone that, uh, that thought I had a lot of potential, but never realized it. And you know how it is in your hometown, but I ended up moving back there in 1989 to work with Woody Durham on UNC games. My plan was only to do that for a year. I was into baseball. I was at uh, the main guides. I was at AAA doing their, their games on radio and TV. And what I really wanted to do was become, was be a baseball announcer and, and hopefully get to the major leagues. And um, so I, I accepted a job. My boss in Maine lost his team in court. You could look it up, but a man named Jordan Kobritz, who started the main guides, he lost his team in court. The main guides became the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Red Barons. So I was out of work, and I got a letter out of the blue from Jim Hebner, who ran the Tar Heel Sports Network, and um, ended up um, working there for 16 seasons and really enjoyed it. When the NFL, when the Carolina Panthers contacted me, I thought there's no way. that they'll, they'll want someone who has NFL play-by-play -play experience, and I did not have that. But throughout the interview process, it, they impressed me as a, a fantastic organization, a place that would be a, 
awesome place to work. And the three or four day long interviews over the course of several weeks. And I was tired of getting my hair cut and I was about to run out of suits. And uh, then finally they, uh, they offered me the job and, and I just, I love the bigness of NFL games and I'm a college guy too. I love Wake Forest, Duke, uh, NC state, UNC. I followed the entire league growing up as a kid and, and, but there's something about NFL games, no matter what the records, there's a bigness to NFL games that's, that's very intoxicating. Interesting. So were the Panthers where you wanted to land, or was that something that just kind of happened for you? No, it wasn't. It was never a goal. And, I, and I'm not, you know, I, I wouldn't, I don't try to export this, but I'm, I'm a little bit different. I, I, I'm not on social media. I believe that scarcity breeds momentum. I don't believe in, in urinating on every bush and, and marking my territory and telling everybody where I went on vacation and what my wife and I named our dog that we got. And, and I don't think anybody cares. I don't have a signature call. I don't believe in signature calls. I don't like signature calls. Jeff Joniak of the Chicago bears, my counterpart in Chicago. Great guy. I love Jeff, but he has a signature call fade to black. This he trumpets with great enthusiasm when victory is assured for the Chicago Bears. <laughs> and that's fine. That's worked well for him. Wayne Larrabee with the Green Bay Packers. There's your dagger. Um, and there's a, a whole bunch of other ones. But I don't believe in it. I think it sends a bad message. It sends a message that people are tuning in to hear us render our signature home run call or our signature the game is is now in the hand. There's You can paint this one purple, Pirate fans. To me, that's just – it's just asinine. I mean, why not let the game, the play, the moment tell you what word choices to make? So that's, that's how I do it. I wasn't looking to go to the NFL or to be with the Panthers. I was playing drums in a, in a, in a cover band. I was teaching classes at UNC in the school of journalism. I, I loved being the color analyst on the Tar Heel sports network, but when the opportunity came out, I, I was very, very honored and pleased to, to accept it. That's well Very said. Cool. Yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting way to and a great way to look at that. Um, you know, it's how much I think you sell yourself short on how much you bring to the game, but um, no, it's it's an excellent viewpoint. Um, talking about preparation, so in my opinion, um, and maybe you, in my opinion, maybe not me much. You probably maybe will disagree, but to me, a radio host has to be probably one of the most prepared. Uh, guys in any kind of broadcasting booth just because of the way that you've got to set the scene. You've got to give that visual, uh, you know, purely through words. Um, what goes into and how much preparation goes in from week to week um, and, and getting prepared for, for a Sunday afternoon in Charlotte? Oh, gosh. Um, let me say this first. Radio, podcasts, what we're doing now, it's magic. And I'm not saying that because you guys are any good at interviewing or because I'm any, anybody's <laughs> uh, dream of a decent guest. But what we're doing right now is, is con we're conversing and it, and it could go anywhere. It could go off the cuff. It could be extemporaneous. Uh, someone could say something that could make someone laugh. Television for decades has tried to artificially inseminate what comes naturally on a podcast, what comes naturally on radio. So I've already, even though I can't see David, John, or Matt, I've already 
run the diags in my mind. I've already calculated what you guys look like. I have a, a view that all three of you are borderline bookish, that you're ectomorphic, <laughs> that you're you pri- that you probably run or jog, that you're fairly fit, that you like wearing these Euro flat front stovepipe pants that the young kids wear now, which you could do to mix in some pleats and some cuffs, by the way. <laughs> and, and, and you may be making the same, the same calculations about me. What's Mick look like? Where is he sitting? What, you know, all that. And, and, and it's, it's just fantastic. I love, I love the, the theater of the mind, the, the magic of radio. So radio demands preparation. It, it demands that you put flesh on the bones. It demands that you be nimble with the names, the numbers, the nomenclature of the sport, the playing rules of the sport, so that you can then, on that skeleton, so that you can then put the flesh. You can put the, the sweater, the, the necktie, the uh, hat, socks, whatever, that, that you can put the color to, to the broadcast and make the detail, make it come to life on, on the radio. I, I just think if someone will – I want our broadcast on Sundays to be a meeting place. Guys that have the big voice and can, can, uh, can, can say, you know, it's a beautiful day here in California. Welcome to another Oakland Raider. I mean, that, those guys are a dime a dozen. What flavor do you want? They're everywhere. Big voice guy. But what, but what does that get you? Your highlights probably sound good, but, but at, when it's done right, radio is a meeting place. It's a place where people can come and hang out, spend a little time, eavesdrop on our conversation. We know that the Panthers are the reason that you tune in and that you must hear the score. You must hear the down and distance. You must hear who's getting the better of it and why. But if you can just stop for a while, just linger with us for just a few minutes and let us keep you some company with so many very brilliant people trying to just slice your attention span into smaller and smaller chunks and get a piece of it. Radio is still Radio's still an amazing medium, in my opinion. It's interesting, yeah. too, that through all, you know, as you mentioned, through social media, through just the interconnectedness that we see, um, you know, in, in 2020 and over the last you know decade or so, as technology has continued to grow, radio has been around for so many years now, and it continues to be in the forefront, and, and, and audio presentation continues to be in the forefront of, of you know such valuable and important things in all of our lives, whether it's sports or otherwise. Um, so that's it's amazing that it it has survived and will continue to survive once you know social media and once people are off TikTok and Twitter has gone on to do something else and you know all that will come and go. But I, I think you're spot on that radio and, and voice will still remain you know many years into the future. So that's incredible. It should be king. I mean, if if people because the millennial brain, how do you want entertainment? How do you want, uh, what do you think is entertaining? I mean, billions of dollars are at stake. And if you get on the wrong end of this equation, you end up like blockbuster video, <laughs> polyester leisure suits, <laughs> pet rock, and mood rings. So, so if it's true that, see, my generation was, when I started, when I was, how old are you guys, 30? Mid thirties, yeah, mid thirties. Yeah, oh, mid thirties. Oh my We're god. We're getting up there now. Okay, get, yeah, get up there. <laughs> yeah, start working on your four hundred one k. But when I was your age, true, truly, 
what we what you wanted was a big TV. Now that was the that was the that was the gravitas. If you had surround sound, if you had look guy, you come over and we're all going to watch the game, and look at this big screen and look at these cubes. I got the Bose speaker system here, and we're all going to sit. But that seems to me like that's dated now. You guys, and I say you guys, I mean young people like you. You want you want it quick. You want it now. You want it on your phones. You want it mobile. So what better than radio? And young broadcasters, they 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 honor uh, me by occasionally asking me for my opinion. Mick, will you listen to my tape? Will you will you give me feedback on the broadcast? And I say absolutely. And so often, what we have is announcers that don't tell me what anything really looks like what does it smell like what does it feel like what does it taste like i've been to madison square garden and i can tell you that it smells like stale beer and rat piss (laughs) i've seen i've seen cam newton get up under center and i can tell you that unless you're telling me what this this exquisitely gifted athlete looks like unless you're trying to tell me in whatever style is unique to you, that that the, the the vascular, these blacksmith arms, this narrow waist, this body that looks like it was sculpted in some kind of art class, we, you have to. The, the detail is where it is. Don't you agree? Yeah, definitely, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So, Mick, just if I can take a side note, like just from the few minutes, I mean, we've listened to you on the radio and. Just from the few minutes we've had a chance to talk to you, you're a very eloquent speaker. Like, I wish I could wordsmith the way that you're doing this right now. But, you know, I guess going back in some history, I I read a little bit about you, and I found a really interesting article where you're talking in a mentor piece. And if you don't mind me picking your brain, when you were a younger man and you started your career, one of the articles I read was you were talking about a story where you were going out – to do one of your original broadcasts. I want to, I can't remember if it was baseball or what, but you kind of mentioned the fact that you sent all the reports back to your, your editor or whoever it was. And, you know, he kind of looked at you and said, where's the rest of the detail? The next weekend you go out to, maybe it was golf. Was it golf? And you're interviewing. Yeah. All you're talking about Bob McAllister down in, down in Hilton head, Hilton head. Yep. Yes. Where I don't, See, since I don't, I've never Googled myself and I never will. If you ever hear that I've Googled myself, you call 911 <laughs> uh, because you'll know that Not I've you. lost. Something yeah, right. I've lost, I have suffered a traumatic brain injury. <laughs> but uh, so I don't know where you would have read this and nor am I can really that concerned by it. But what you're referring to is Bob Blood and Guts McAllister, who ran WIS radio a radio station uh, with, for whom I worked in the early 1980s. I respected Bob McAllister more than I respected any coach, any parent, any teacher, any troop leader, any anything all added together. Bob McAllister ran the newsroom like Vince Lombardi, like George Patton, like Lou Grant. I mean, just he people were terrified of Bob McAllister and I should have been too had I been astute enough to know (laughs) that I should have been afraid of this man he specialized in cursing he took swearing and made it into he was the Picasso he was the Bruce Lee of of profanity he could wield these words like Bruce Lee wielded nunchucks and just 
beat you over the head and about the head and shoulders with his language and just eviscerate people. But he was so good at what he did. And he respected me enough to tell me what I most desperately needed to know, which was essentially this. I go to Hilton Head Island to do a series of reports, seven reports a day, Wednesday through Sunday on a golf tournament called that back then called the Heritage. So I drive the WIS radio news van to Hilton Head Island and I do my reports, come back Monday morning, Bob McAllister gets to work. And like a total doofus, I walk into his office, which no one did. And I called him Bob, which no one did. I mean, I'm only 20 something <laughs> years old. I said, Hey Bob, how'd you like my reports from Hilton head? Pretty good, huh? I mean, what an idiot. <laughs> he said, Mickey, have a seat and close Uh-oh. the door. He said, your reports were good. You did a good job, but you didn't do a great job. Would you like to know the difference between good and great? And I went, um, well, yes, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Maybe. Start telling me, and then I'll tell you if I really want to know. <laughs> he looks off. And I'm telling you, David and John and Matt, he was not a sports fan. Didn't know anything about sports. He was a newsman, mm. politics, economy. I mean, fantastic, local, regional, national, global. He knew it. And he didn't know sports, but he looks off in out his window for a second. And then he says, "What's Mick, what's life like on the PGA Tour for wives, the wives of these players? What about caddies? What about the – where do these players stay when they go into a city? What, what about the – is there a fitness trailer? Is there a concession trailer? What about the runoff that's toxic to the estuaries down on the lowlands from all the fertilizer that they use to keep this golf course green? I'm trying to run a radio station up here, and you're down there doing just the reports. You're doing just what we told you to do. And, and there's story – everywhere you would have looked, there were stories – so don't come in here fishing for a compliment and, and want to know if you did a good, you did a good job and that's all you did. Now get out of here. So I've pressure washed that. So imagine that same speech, but it has all kind of <laughs> profanity. In it. So I'm lower. I'm just as low and hang dog. And I feel like I was about ready to start crying. But the next week was a golf tournament called the masters in Augusta, Georgia. And I had the same WIS radio news van, the same schedule of reports, seven reports a day. Well, I drive to Augusta, Georgia on Wednesday, and I create over the next five days an electronic blizzard. I interviewed Tiny, the 400-pound security guard in charge of the press tent. I interviewed Fred Couples' wife. Uh, I interviewed Ben Crenshaw's wife. I interviewed Nick Faldo. I interviewed the parking guy. I interviewed everybody I could think of and did feature stories. And I got back to Columbia. I was exhausted Sunday night about midnight. Monday morning comes. I'm not going to be talking to old Bob McAllister anymore. Uh, he comes in 7:15, hangs his overcoat up, hangs his hat, houndstooth hat up, goes into his office. I'm typing my sports cast, old-fashioned typewriter, clatter, clatter, clatter. And then I see a shadow across my, my paper. I look back, and it's Bob McAllister, who never gives a compliment. He looks at me, and he says, Mick, great job at Augusta. And that's an emotional story for me to tell. Uh, I should have known the difference between good and great. I don't do a great job now. Doing a great job is difficult. And I know I fall short. But this man respected me enough to tell me the difference between good and great. 
And for that, I owe him a debt I'll never be able to square up. So is that kind of your turning point in your career where you really started, I guess, focusing on your personal development then? No, I, I, it should have been, but I was too too stupid to <laughs> to uh, to know that. It was a long. I mean, it's a long process. It's it, it, the thing about great is that good is as has so often been said by other people much more eloquent than me and knowledgeable than me. But you know, you always hear that. I guess it's a little cliche that good is the enemy of great, and but it's really true. It's so easy to stop say the Panthers are getting ready to play the Vikings and I'm in the hotel and I mean, we're on the road. I've memorized the names and numbers. I've worked on it on the plane. I, so I kind of, I have it right. So easy just to stop and watch a movie or not do that extra, put in that extra work or maybe just rehearse it in my mind one more time. And am I really sure that I know all the numbers uh, without having to think about it and all the names? So um, personal development. Um, I guess I've always tried to take, I take what I do seriously, but I've always tried to not take myself overly seriously. I can't stand listening to broadcasters that feel like, I feel like they're lecturing to me or they're beat me over the head with the point that they want to make. Cool. That's really good. So Nick, <clears throat> you've talked about preparation. You've talked about painting the picture with your words to help the listener visualize what they're saying. We've heard from a lot of our listeners in the feedback here that they have an interest in getting into sports media, whether it's after college, whether are you there wanting to progress in their career. Can you kind of tell us, you know, as the season goes on, does life get easier as you kind of find that groove? Does it get more difficult as you're kind of in that grind of week after week of numbers and sheets and making sure you have everything correct? Or what is what does the season progression look like for you? I'll tell you exactly what it looks like. Imagine taking an oral exam. Imagine that every week for 20 straight weeks, roughly, you have to sit for a three-hour, four-hour, five-hour oral exam. You know the subject matter, but you also know that you're only going to need to regurgitate about 20% of what you've studied, but you don't know what 20% that is. And the cost of a misstep could be catastrophic now we're not talking about lives lost or any don't don't confuse me with people who have real jobs and do really good things such as arrest criminals put out fires cure diseases teach kids cook food etc etc but the responsibility is it's yours david it's yours john it's yours matt tonight to to do the best you can on Sport on your sports talk garage. Um, you want it to be good, right? Your name is on it. So I feel that about every broadcast. My name is on it. And if I say, if I say that Smith made the catch, but it's actually Jackson, that that's a major event in my life. It'll take me days to get over that. So I'm nervous, but I'm confident. But I'm nervous. I don't want to. I don't want to let anybody down. I don't want to let myself down. I don't want to let my wife down. I don't want to let my coworkers down. I think we, you know, several of us are, are people managers and things like that. And, you know, I think 
when you see someone with that passion, it, it's the ones that, you know, you don't want the, you don't want people to beat themselves up, but it's those people that take what they do so seriously and put in that extra preparation. And even though their, their performance is light years above their peers in so many cases, they're the ones that often will go home and, and focus on that one mistake. And, and that's the passion you see when you, when you talk about people that are of greatness and that do great things for, for whatever uh, you know organization or whatever role they're working on. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting, you know, for me to hear that, you know, that passion you have, and even after all these years, uh, you, you know, how seriously you take that. I think that's amazing advice for some people that are trying to get into, you know, hopefully maybe a future in, in broadcasting of some sort that, you know, that's the level of, of, of uh, passion that it takes to be successful and, and to have great things happen. So. Well, the advice I'd give for anybody that wants to get into sports broadcasting is don't <laughs> set your goals higher, aim higher than schlepping around all over the country, hoping that the, that wide receiver or defensive back du jour will stop after practice to talk with you so that you can ask him a couple of questions that will help, help uh, fill your huge gaps in your knowledge prior to your oral exam. But um, no, it is a joy and, I don't know when it happened or how or why, but somehow or another, either your generation or the one before you has become infected with this virus that I call the like epidemic. And like means as if similar to or to have affection for. It cannot possibly be substituted for who said what to who. These kids that lean on it, it's a flimsy conversational crutch it will not support your weight so when i hear sometimes a young adult will contact me and say um uh, mr mixon i was wanting to like talk with you and stuff because i really like want to be a like a broadcaster and stuff and i think man you got a long way to go first of all you're up talking declarative sentences sound like questions because all your sentences go like up at the end and then the the whole like thing and and literally the biggest pet peeve of my I have is literally. How often have you heard mm. people use the word literally incorrectly? Too often. It just drives probably, me nuts. Probably so, daily at this point, yeah. <laughs> I know. My point is, I have to retire soon because uh, I'm I'm just I'm this close to just flying across the room and just choking <laughs> somebody. That's awesome. <laughs> It's literally oh. like raining cats and dogs and stuff. <laughs> God. Well, on that note, let's take a quick break uh, to thank our sponsors, and we will be right back with more McMiggison. All right. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 39 of the Sports Talk Garage Podcast. We are on with the McMiggison. Great conversation so far. He's listening to the life of an NFL broadcaster, all the passion and energy that he puts into in the preparation as we make, as we kind of look forward, you know, in this upcoming 2020 season, there's talk about fans being in attendance, maybe not in attendance. There's no telling what percentage could be in attendance. We've been read reports of like crowd noise being pumped in to help normalize what game day experience <laughs> would be like for the guys on the field, which seems a little crazy to me. How do you see this impacting your presentation style if it does? And also just, mainly for in-game media, what kind of adjustments would they need to make? 
I can't imagine. I'm not going to have a very good answer to an excellent question. I just depend on the the noise, whether it's home noise or away noise. A play-by-play man, a radio crew, we depend on that noise floor to 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 sort of help us elevate our our broadcast energy to a different register. If you're talking, it's one thing to to describe something, but if you're trying to urgently communicate it and you have and you feel like you need to be heard over this noise floor of crowd it's to it's it's different totally different so will this what will this feel like will it feel like a living room play-by-play -play? will it feel like a sedate description Ooh, there was a nice hit there my goodness that man, young man seems to be injured I, mean, <laughs> I can't even get my mind around it so is it safe to say that you would be in favor of some artificial crowd noise to be pumped in? I know it's generally been frowned upon in, in most normal situations, but we're, I guess we're not exactly in, in normal settings at this moment. No, I would not be. And as desperately as I would miss it and we need it and it's fantastic and it's a requirement almost of an NFL game. I, I do not, I don't want to fake it. I think that, if we can't be honest with the audience, to me, it would be, I, I wouldn't want to do it. It'd be hokey. It would be, now, if my employers come to me and tell me that this is what we're doing, <laughs> I'll throw all my delegates cheerfully behind it, of course. And I will deny <laughs> having said this in uh, the we, talk we, garage. We can edit this uh, post-production, no worries. <laughs> but um, I'm stridently against it because it's fake. I mean, we, if you can't have an honest communication with your with your audience like i said earlier what you want is a trust factor you want people to trust you they know that we're the carolina panthers radio network but i want them to trust us that if the panthers commit a penalty and it's not called and we say on the radio that we we caught a break we don't have clean hands on this play but we got a break they didn't the referee didn't see it it was definitely holding we got lucky and crowd noise would be the same I'd rather broadcast in this vacuous, empty stadium and be able to be honest about that than I would have some 72,000 people from the polo grounds in 1942 piped in artificially. Fair enough. I had the opportunity to, to watch some um, European soccer matches just before all the shutdown in empty stadiums. And it, it, did, it brought a, a different dynamic because um, surely you didn't have the crowd noise. Uh, you didn't have the chanting from the crowd and songs being sang and all that stuff. But you did hear a lot of that communication, that on-field communication, which certainly brought another dynamic um, of, of you know, hearing the players communicate with each other. And so perhaps there's a way that you know that can be incorporated. But no, I think that's fair. It's going to be a unique environment when we all get back to it. Football is is a, is a broadcast in the sport that like no other. Um, and crowd noise, you know, is is just such an integral part of of um, the experience. So it, it's going to be interesting when we get back to whatever this new normal is. How do you guys see it shaking out? I mean, do you really think we'll be on airplanes, three across, and shoulder to shoulder, mm -hmm. seventy thousand people at ball games and Garth Brooks concerts and things such as that moving forward? In the next three to four <laughs> months, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be there. As much as I would love to be back to as normal as we can. I mean, I beyond that. Be that soon. I'm talking about beyond, beyond that. Oh. So do we, so, do we shake hands again? I mean, what, how, what do you think the long-term, 
implications of this will be? Well, I think that obviously we're not going to get a – if we get anything out of the rest of this year, it's going to be amazing. I really think that we're going to have to wait till 2021. I've read it. I've listened to it. You know, I've had friends that work in – with friends in the Mayo Clinic and they're talking, you know, I think it's going to come down to this year is going to be a bust on a lot of things. But when you look at where we're at in life, I really think that it's just going to change the way a lot of people think, because we've never really dealt with this in this day and age with as much uh, media presence as we can have about a major virus. So do I think we can get back to three across and saying stadiums? Yeah. But obviously as long as this, virus is sitting out there and we don't have some kind of antivirus for it. No, we're, we're still going to be, you know, kind of like your, your teacher was in elementary, like, all right, keep your hands to yourself. I'm not touching you, you know? So we're going to kind of, my wife is in the grocery store this morning, picking up some stuff and some little man like gave her a death stare because she was a little too close to his cart. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, there's, there's, I just have a lot of doubts of seeing anything this year, which is killing me, uh, you know, for fall sports and uh, events and being able to be outside. Uh, I sat down at a restaurant for the first time this weekend and was able to actually have a meal with my uh, immediate family. And it, it was like, you kind of stare around and go, but this isn't real, right? Like we're in a dream right now. <laughs> Yeah, I did the same thing. My wife and I were at the beach and uh, was in a restaurant, and the waitress came over and said, "What do you? What will you have? What do you want?" And I said, "I really don't care. Just bring me anything. I'm just so happy. <laughs> I'm just happy to be, to be here." here. <laughs> yeah, hey, you can only stare at the same wall so many days in a row before it starts to get to you. Even for the uh, the most introverted people like myself, <laughs> it, it gets old pretty quickly. But um, yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I, I I don't know what the new normal is going to look like. Um, I, I'm trying to have hope and, and humanity and, and everything associated with it, that we are going to get back to life as we know it or knew it uh, or pretty, pretty dang close to it. Um, but, you know, I, I think we've, you know, it's going to have to be whatever, um, whatever new thing, you know, gr- creates in the media's attention um, and things will start to sway back into, you know, what normal life is and, and how we accept that, Hey, this is the new norm. We've got to, ex- you know, America is about taking risk and, and getting back to some of that, uh, how much risk tolerance are we allowed to take or want to take as Americans. So uh, it's going to be interesting uh, moving forward for sure. We'll get it figured out. Football is such a, so it's so violent and, NFL football player tackles you. I mean, there's all kind of sweat, earwax, mm-hmm. uh, just, yep. you know, snot. Does anybody everything. else remember the term slobber knocker? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, football is probably not, a, not the most in, uh, conducive sport to be playing amidst a uh, global virus, but. Uh, yeah, hopefully the uh, the powers that be in the NFL and, and all the local and national safety people uh, are having figured out. I, I did see that there was talks about a, a new helmet being designed with a mask yeah. uh, built into it. I don't know how you do that. Uh, we've all played football in, in the southeast, and I'm not sure how you survive a, a hundred degrees. It's hard enough to breathe in that thing, much <laughs> exactly. less having a mask on. If you've never worn pads, it's uh, it's a whole other experience of when it comes to heat. But uh, 
Well, think yeah. about this too, because just since you mentioned, it, I read that today myself, and my first thought went to, you know, some of the best things are like as you're watching replays once in a while, seeing the face of the guy as he's just like, oh, you know, either when he's getting hit or laying the hit. Yeah, they're all behind a mask. <laughs> it's just a guy hitting another guy. Well, who knows? Maybe this will be something, uh, you know, I don't remember what movie it was, but, you know, a futuristic style of football where that's fully encased helmets and, you know, it's, <laughs> I don't know, we're, who knows where this will take us, but it's going to be, it's gonna be each player can have his own oxygen supply. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Strap scuba gear on and be good to go. At this point, you might as well just call Elon and start playing football on Mars. But uh, you know, we'll, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Um, five, five year delay on the the replays. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, going back to the fan in you that we talked about earlier. Uh, I guess a two part question. What was what would you say is your best memory? either in person or, or watching or listening to a broadcast uh, of a sporting event, what's kind of that one thing that you always go back to that, you know, you're just happy that you could be associated with it in some way or form. Super Bowl 50 lady Gaga, a woman named Stephanie Germanata sings the national anthem with no Spartacus, no big production, just a grand piano and Lady Gaga. And the national anthem is a difficult song to sing. It's not so much that it requires a tremendous range. It's about an octave and a half, 19 semitone difference between the high note and the low note in the Star Spangled Banner. Definitely in Lady Gaga's wheelhouse. She's so talented. Still, though, this song has tripped up, particularly on a grand stage like that, many other talented vocalists. And I'm a music guy. I love music. And so I'm watching Lady Gaga sing and I'm listening. And she crushed it. I mean, just, it was incredible. She didn't try to do too much with the song. She stayed pretty loyal to the song's melody. When it was over, right when, right as it's ending, the Blue Angels, a squadron of whatever they are, F-18, multi-purpose day-night fighter bombers come flying over as slow as they can possibly fly or else they would you would have missed it in a blink it would have been over but they come by in perfect formation but i look down and see lady gaga jump into the she knew she had sung it well and so she jumped into the arm nobody saw it because everybody's watching the airplanes the flyover but she jumps into the arms of her keyboard player and puts her legs around his torso just i mean just this embrace. And I just thought, you know, to be a sports broadcaster is such an honor. I mean, to all the American Legion baseball, all the dirt track car racing, all the high school football, all the miles I've driven, all the, the, the games that I broadcast when I was quite sure that no one was listening. Just to be here in this moment, getting ready for a Super Bowl game, um, I'll never forget it. That's incredible. Cool. Um, in that same regard, looking into the future, uh, is there something on your bucket list, either as a fan or a journalist, because you've got the Super Bowl checked off, um, I don't know, maybe a, a Panthers ring, uh, maybe that would add a, a sweetness to it all. But 
Is there something that you would put at the top of your sports bucket list at the moment? I don't, I tend not to view the world in that. And I understand your question and I could probably come up with something, but I, I try not to view my, my job through that kind of filter. It's, I, I love making it not about me. I don't, I try not to refer to myself unnecessarily during the broadcast i don't have a personalized license plate i don't have this self-aggrandizing email handle like some of my colleagues um so i would love for charlotte for the carolinas for the region if absolute victory could could come if the panthers could and it probably won't happen in my my time there i'm Matt Rule's going to be great, and I think he'll win one for the Panthers, but may not be with me in the booth. But hopefully I can be on a tractor, on a skid steer, on some land, listening to whoever calls the game and have have the Panthers win a Super Bowl. There's nothing like, no matter what level it is, there's nothing like when you've won it, whether it's a state 3A baseball championship, whether it's a NCAA Final Four, the national championship, even a bowl game. There's just something about when you just look at the people you work with and say, man, we did it. And you hug people <clears throat> that normally you probably wouldn't hug that person, but you're just so happy. Um, so <clears throat> those are the moments. Yeah, it'd be great. Very cool. <clears throat> All right, sticking on the nostalgia part, I guess we're just kind of tackling you at this point. Um, so you've alluded to this a couple times, but you're a pro drummer, from what we understand. Um, if by pro you mean I've been paid for my percussive <laughs> services, then yes. Um, Absolutely. I always wondered why my, my parents uh, drank so much alcohol when I was a kid and I used to think it was a character flaw that they incubated, but I realized in adulthood that it was my fault for trying to uh, capture Buddy Rich's entire career uh, at night in my room on 2313 Honeysuckle Road in Chapel Hill. But I've loved drums. I love music. I, everybody and you guys, your friendship, Man, and what what do you guys do? Do you guys jog? I know you do the podcast, but do you jog together? Do you do you go bowling? Do you play softball? Do you have cover band? I mean, we, guys, we we tend to for the uh, for the double X chromosome set who may be eavesdropping on our conversation now. The women, us men folk, we're we're not right in the head. We chase a team. If we weren't good enough to be on the varsity, then we we do we got bowling night or we play poker or we start a cover band we do would do almost anything to be on a team so my bands for years have been my team and it's how i met my wife my my bride was the lead singer in the franklin street band and then one and i was single she was single and um i was studying up on her i'd been studying up on her for a couple months our keyboard player was late we're playing a gig at the carolina inn and i sidled over to her and i cleared my throat under my breath because our <laughs> guitar players really nosy he was trying to listen my wife's name is dawn i call her donnie i said donnie have uh <clears throat> have you ever thought about uh, have you ever thought about me and you 
And she took a step back and looked at me from head to toe, x-rayed my soul in that instant and said, have I ever thought about an interview? (laughs) She she misheard me. And I said, I remember now, this is what getting shot down feels like. But I took another run at it. I said, no, no. I said, have you ever thought about me and you? And she looked like I had dumped a 55-gallon bucket of ice water on top of her head. She said, well, no. But um, if what this is is you asking me out, I'd I'd, I'd go, you know, I'd have a glass of wine with you or have dinner with you one night. And I said, fantastic. Let's do it. So we got married in 2011. So music has brought me so much, including the lead singer in my life, as well as my band, Dawn Elizabeth Thomas Mixon. It's a good story. So just to follow that point a little bit further, is there, you know, some places that we can go hear you jam or any live shows coming up that you're willing to put out there so we can come hear this professional rock star? Absolutely not. Uh, We, uh, (laughs) (laughs) as I say, we, um, I don't, I've never Googled myself and I never will. So I'm sure there's some stuff out there. I had a Charlotte band called Mick and the Ultras. I'm the original drummer and the founder. I started a band called Break, Wind, and Fire. Uh, I do not think any Break, Wind, and Fire highlights or lowlights are on YouTube or anything. But uh, there may be some stuff. But we shut the band down. We uh, Life got so busy for us. And I have three grandkids. And and um, I don't know where we ever found the time to to play music but we've we've been very lucky we played weddings alive after fives club days corporate outings smoky blues bars shopping centers bar mitzvahs defensive thesis parties housewarming house cooling oh. uh anything you can think of we played it and it was a joy it was a blast i loved it well just for our listeners out there just because he said this and he won't google himself I did it for him, and all I typed in was "break wind and fire" and up pops "if it hadn't been for love" on YouTube. So it is out there. That's not us. Somebody stole my my band name. <laughs> oh, well, that's disappointing. It, it is disappointing because right. that's my intellectual <laughs> property. I'm the one that thought of it. Oh, sad. <laughs> well, I'll have to research further and see if I can find you some more. Um. Okay, so just as kind of like we're wrapping up things, uh, let's say that the virus subsides enough to where we can go back to having somewhat normal life activities, et cetera. What's the thing that you personally are looking forward to doing most? I've I've sort of taken, it sounds stupid, but eating, uh, having someone else cook for us and bring us the food (laughs) It's just the best. It seems like the greatest idea. I like that ever. <laughs> so I would just say, just e- eating out, and and uh, Don, Donnie and I, we there's a couple places we like. We're not really foodies in the wine and all that. We just our need, our life is G-rated and 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 very simple and basic. We're I'm older, so we eat at you know five five thirty, uh, six o'clock. We, we're a threat to to eat dinner early like i thought people were crazy when i used to hear about this when i was young but but that's what we do so so eating out i'm really looking forward to i'm looking forward to dawn has several friends who are hairdressers and and you know she's stressed for them because they for some reason they're not i mean they seem like they're the last 
you know, hair, nails, that the gym, go, oh, going to the <laughs> gym and, and, and lifting heavy objects on purpose. That I'm looking forward to as well. I never thought I would say that. <laughs> oh, I got to say, I'm actually. Well, I'm kind of laughing. Sorry, if you go back to your original point, we started talking about, you know, you started imagining what we all look like. All I can think of is, you know, we're all growing some kind of scraggly beard at this point, long hair because you can't go get a haircut unless your wife decides that she wants to do something. My wife looked at me and she started to put a bowl on top of my head and pull out the clippers. I said, no (laughs) way. Yeah. I think we're all getting a duck dynasty running for their money at this point. If this keeps going, (laughs) you know, it's not me. I had, I'm going to wake up with uh, tremors. No, you don't, don't think too hard about it. I I started getting that. uh, I had hair to my fifties and then uh, my early fifties, things started looking a little, the follicle density just wasn't there. So I just skinned it all down and I don't care. I just don't care. It's uh, I cut my hair myself. I've saved hundreds of dollars and um, I recommend it. If, if that's your genetic lot in life. Absolutely. Might as well embrace it. Might as well. Yeah. I got to say I am on same bandwidth there. I am looking forward to just going and sitting in a restaurant again sometime soon. It's probably been at least, at least two months since we've done that. So hopefully, the next couple of weeks, that'll be a possibility. I here. spoke in Hickory. The last thing I did oh. was I spoke at the Hickory Sportsman's Club on March the 12th in Hickory. And 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 I had this cream that my dermatologist wanted me to put on my face for any little zap, any little sunspots and all. But it looked like Godzilla had breathed on my face. I didn't had no idea it was going to have this reaction. So I heard these two guys say, after I shook their hands and I met them, I heard one guy say to the other, Man, if that dude don't have the virus, then who does? <laughs> so oh, I'm oh, looking forward bad. to getting back oh. out there on the on the rubber chicken circuit so I can atone for my last performance. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Gosh. Mick, we really appreciate you coming on tonight. It's been a blast hearing some stories, getting to chat about your life personally, professionally. It's kind of inspiring too. It makes me want to do a better job as in this podcast and anything else that we professionally that we are in. So thank you for taking the time to come on. We are deeply grateful for the honor's mine. And I mean that you guys, uh, your show has a good feel to it. I I loved hearing that y'all are friends and, and, um, and that comes through in, in the the camaraderie and the questions you asked me. And I can tell you have fun with your guests and thanks for letting me be a small part of your show. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to have your sports-related question or comment featured on the show, please email us at sportstalkgarage at gmail.com. Also, if you want to keep up to date with us outside of the show, please follow us on Twitter at sportsgaragepod. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a five-star review and subscribe if you want to hear more. So for Chris back in the studio, David and Matt, I'm John, and we are the Sports Talk Garage. Hey, Sports Talk Garage, this is Matt. Guys, you need to take a close look in the mirror at your nose and ears. There's some weird hairs growing there, and you probably haven't noticed, but your lady certainly has. Guys, did you know that 79% of partners polled admit that long nose hair is a major turnoff? Manscaped has just released the Weed Whacker to handle that situation for you. Let's be honest, yanking them out with your fingers can hurt worse than nicking the boys. 
Ladies, if you're listening in, this is just a product needed to take care of those unsightly hairs and makes a great gift, whether you're trying to tell them in a straight out fashion or just for a random gift that you love them. It has a 9,000 RPM rotary dual blade system to fix all of those hairs needing to go away quickly. Same as the mower 3.0, it's rechargeable and waterproof. Get 20% off plus free shipping using the code PODCAST20 at manscaped.com. 